Welcome to Seasoned, I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Romance is in the air this week, and it got Chef Plum and I thinking about some of our favorite date night spots. We'll share a few in just a minute. Coming up this hour, we talk to two chocolate experts. First, we'll spend some time with Kimberly Thorne. Kimberly and her family consider themselves farmers first, who also happen to make chocolate. And the chocolate, it's exquisite. You'll understand why in just a bit. We'll also hear about the latest craze in confections, the hot chocolate bomb, with chocolate maker Rosie Mariano. How fun are those things? And because we know you're looking for a fun, safe date spot to try, I visited Aquia's Nest Vineyard in Newtown, where you can taste their first harvest Connecticut wines indoors or out by your own personal cozy fire. But before we get to all that, we'd like to offer up some of our personal picks for romantic restaurants around the state. Listen, when it's date night in the Chef Plum household, I like to let somebody else do the cooking and cleanup. And my wife and I, we like to go to Nouveau Monde in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. The wine list is amazing. I'm not sure if there's any other restaurant that even comes close to their wine list. The seating is quaint and separated from everybody else. And even before COVID, it felt like you were separated from everyone else. There's a little fireplace in there. And the menu is seasonal and constantly rotates. The food is out of this world. Nouveau Monde is one of my favorite date spots. You know, also... Olives and Oil in New Haven by our friend Chef John Brennan. What a great spot. Lots of wines on tap for this. It makes like a fun date night because you can go and get tastings from each one of these wines on tap, which we love to do. The desserts are delicious. And of course, anytime you can have handmade delicious pasta, you never know. You might have one of those Lady in the Tramp moments where each of us are sharing a plate of spaghetti. (laughs) And of course, if I'm out east, out in New London, there's a spot called Tony D's and it's simply the way it should be done. They have an amazing cocktail program where all the juices are actually pressed and not pre-bought. The song, It's Amore, seems to constantly be playing always on repeat there. The food is delicious. Everything is made from scratch. He's making his own sausage. He's making his own pasta. It's just a great spot to go hang out in. The lighting is dim. There's candles everywhere. And honestly, it feels like at any moment, it could break out into song the entire restaurant. It's pretty crazy. Tony D's in New London is a great date spot for sure. And when I think of romantic spots to share a meal, the first place I think of is Amis in Westport. Because let's just face it, nothing says love like friend. So it's kind of like a modern take on Italian. And my friend Jess Bankston is doing such a tremendous job at this place. It has been reimagined and it's really cool. So the inside is great, but the outside is this alley that kind of has red light district feels. She's got these beautiful pink and red and orange lights. She's got the space heaters going. The food is absolutely delicious. Chef Bankston does her own pasta there. There is nothing on that menu that will not make your mouth water. Great wine list. It's just cozy. It's romantic. It's sexy. I love the food. You can be outside and I'll go there seven days a week, maybe even twice on Sunday. And you, of course, have a few favorite romantic spots of your own. Listeners shared their picks on CT Public's Instagram. KBerry430 shouts out Dolce Restaurant and Wine Bar in Danbury. I agree, that's a great spot as well. And Rose of Sharon 1988 is remembering On 20 in Hartford. She remembers it really, really fondly. Uh, they're closed temporarily, but hopefully we'll be able to see what they're doing on the backside of uh, all this COVID stuff. That's a great spot. Marie gives her vote to Union Cafe in New Haven. KK Blondie gave the smiley love emoji to Viren Rondo in Cheshire. And Newsmex and Four King Chef recommend Millwrights and Simsbury, where right now you and your date can eat in your own personal greenhouse. Whether you celebrate Valentine's Day with dinner for two at a special restaurant, 
getting takeout, or just hanging out on the couch watching movies, you're likely treating yourself to some chocolate and wine at some point. It's a treat in itself to talk to our first guest, Kimberly Thorne of Thorncrest Farm and Milkhouse Chocolates in Goshen. It's a family farm run by Kimberly and her husband, Clint, and their sons. People come from all over the state for their chocolates. They're made with the highest quality milk you can possibly imagine. Seriously, the cows, I mean, there's no other way to put it. The cows that the milk comes from are deeply loved and meticulously cared for by the Thorne family. Kimberly, welcome to Seasoned. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me uh, here today. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. Now, you guys are serious about cows, and I want to get into that. But just to give a little kind of history on how everything started with uh, Thorncrest. Uh, well, my husband grew up on a dairy farm here in Goshen. So cows were part of his life and in his blood. Where the whole idea of our chocolates and cows together came in. Um, I lived in in Ireland for quite a while, and the idea struck me when I was traveling around Europe to combine my love of culinary and cows together, and that's where it all began. Uh, That was a long time ago. We were a lot younger and uh, more naive into thinking that we could actually do this, but but we actually did, and that was our goal, to breed a certain cow for flavor and consistency in their milk to make really, really good chocolates. Can you talk about the process from milk to chocolate? What's that process? Sure. Well, actually, it starts every single day here on the farm. Uh, Garrett, he's our oldest son. He actually manages the cows in the barn. And he and I will talk about the cows and uh, where they are right now in their lactation and so forth and who is best to use in the chocolates. I actually will actually smell the milk, taste the milk from individual cows so that I can decide who I'm going to use and whether I'm using milk for fluid milk for drinking or for certain specific chocolates. And then it begins with him milking and he'll we milk with a very old-fashioned system where he actually goes per cow and that milk comes into wow. the creamery per cow. So in less than a minute from when he's milking that cow, that milk from that cow's coming into the creamery, which then I pasteurize that milk. I create the cream and then the butter from that cow. During that day, I will make the chocolates directly from that cow's milk. Holy cow. And that's how it is. Yeah, holy cow, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I have found that certain cows are really, really, their milk is it really sings to certain flavors, whether it's a milk chocolate, a dark chocolate, and that is the path that I take with that milk. I have a, just this vision of your son sitting on a stool with like a steel pail underneath the cow, squeezing udders and getting a milk out. Like I'm guessing it's not that kind of situation, is it? Uh, no, it's not. We do use a stainless steel pail. It does have a claw. It's called a claw on the end of it. It's a very quiet system while, when we're milking the cows or Garrett's milking the cows. We like it very quiet and very natural. We allow a lot of the birds to be in the barn that uh, for uh, the cow's natural surround. So that way there, everything is just as quiet and peaceful as can be so that when that cow is milking, she is just as completely relaxed as possible. The care you take for the cows, how much you care for the cows, how much you want to make sure that they're comfortable. I almost kind of liken it as a chef to Kobe or, or Wagyu, just kind of the same way you take care of the animals. Am I on the, on the right path? Oh, totally, totally. It's different. You know, a cow's milk will change drastically based on uh, who she's standing next to, her stress level. And so our whole goal is to keep that so minimal 
their comfort and happiness is our whole goal. That in turn reflects right into their milk. You can taste it. You literally can taste it when a cow is different. And that goes into um, as far as like we don't use anything on those cows. We don't use soap. We don't do anything on their bodies because that's their skin. That's their skin. So therefore, that can directly affect the flavor of the milk as well. So we're very particular about that. We're really farmers first, and then we just happen to make chocolates. You yourself, you've kind of gotten to where you've got your palate trained to where you can tell the, the nuances. Like you said, the milk sings to you. Yes, absolutely. Every single cow's milk tastes different. And a good part of that is not only the cow individually, but Clint, he actually has bred these cows. It goes back to a cow he bought in 1987. Her name was Hanover Hill Jethro Coral. And he, 99% of name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, go back to that cow because of the quality and the essence of her milk. He'll also breed the cows very specifically. Uh, and a lot of times, times it goes back to the genetics, go back to very old genetics, so that the consistency and the quality of that milk is paramount. We don't push our cows for milk. We want them to have the best milk. Uh, Lyndon, who is our other son, not only is he a huge, he's a huge part in making, we make all their, our own hay for our cows, so that one cow will get this specific type of hay because that's her digestive tract or her system works better on that hay than another cow. In a sense, like you and I, we have different systems. So what you consume right. or what I consume is going to affect our bodies differently and our performance, therefore. And that is a big part of it. We're joined by Kimberly Thorne of Thorncrest Farm and Milkhouse Chocolates talking all about these amazing cows and how they take care of them there on the farm. What are some of the some of the nuances that would come out when you're tasting the milk to begin with to decide what's going to go where. Is it kind of like tasting wine? Do you look for yes. fl like floral things going on? Do you look for herby like things going on? You know, what is it? Absolutely. All of the above. It's all those little nuances, uh, whether it's uh, texture, it's it's flavors. If it's the lactose, how much butter fat's there, how much lactose is there, how much protein is there. All of those details are going to affect the outcome of that chocolate completely from the perspective from when you're consuming them, whether it's creamier or less creamy or more acidic, less pulling out these nuances in a natural way and allowing those flavors to ride on that milk or the cream or the butter. That's why it's so important to do it from per cow. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. Happy cow makes happy food. Yes, 100%. So take a tomato, for instance. You know, you take a tomato and we all say tomatoes, but there's this tomato and that tomato and this tomato. Look at a cow the exact same way. Yeah. And then you're taking that tomato and making this type of sauce or this or that. And not all tomatoes will work in every single dish. And that is what a cow can do. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> and I mean, you even have certain cows for making caramels, right? Like it's not just yes. everybody does something different. Absolutely. I actually have my favorite cow to make caramels is Daydream. Daydream is our super cow for caramels. Her consistency, her flavor, the butteriness, the creaminess of her milk. You can smell it. You can taste it right in her milk. And it just makes the best caramel, hands down. Do you hug hug them and talk to them like you would like, like a dog or a family pet? We do. Do you? We do. We do. Uh, our girls are our family. And uh they're a part of our life. They're with us for their entire life, and uh, they are our family. They have breakfast before we do. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, so do my kids, yeah. actually, so it makes total sense. <laughs> What's like a day in the life like 
My day always typically begins with pasteurization of the milk, making the cream, making the butter, and then uh, getting my define of what I'm making that day in terms of my menu that day. Once I get all my ingredients together, then I start making the chocolates from there. Do you work alone doing chocolates or do you have some help? Um, Actually, that's a great question. Lyndon, our our other son, um, not only does he make the feed for the cows and so forth, but he is a phenomenal chocolatier and a phenomenal, uh, he has a phenomenal palate for tasting. And so he works very closely with me with the chocolates and which is uh, a real treat for me. One of his specialties is uh, we make uh, 100% dark chocolate from uh, nibs from Peru. And uh, it's an eating uh, bar and it is awesome. But uh, he can smell when it's ready and he knows perfectly. But having Uh, that with a glass of Shiraz is phenomenal. Yep. (laughs) The pepperiness, the chocolate, that's great. Hey, just rounding back to the cows, I I just had another question kind of hit me with it. It As much as we talked about how well you take care of them, what are some of the things that would stress them out? One of the things is if they're next to another cow they don't like. (laughs) Really? Yeah, they have friends, they have buddies. And uh, so we really try to marry that together uh, so that they're very happy. So when they, when you watch them go out into the field and they're playing around, you, you want to make sure that they're next to their buddy, their playmate, their friend. Another thing is, is heat. Heat can stress out a cow. Okay. We actually built a this barn that we're in right now about 10 years ago. We designed it so that it's actually set on the earth a certain way so that the magnetic field helps them relax and that they are, wow. are set in a certain position. We always let our cows out at night as opposed to during the day so that they graze in cooler atmosphere. We feed our cows 12 times a day. If those change or if anything like that changes, sometimes that can stress a cow because they're very, very systematic. They love a schedule. Very habitual, Um, huh? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of things like, I I mean, I could actually go on for a long time about the things that we know can stress out a cow. Um, (laughs) I think it's interesting. I mean, it's just something that you don't think about, but... You know, yeah. like we said a second ago, happy if they're happy, then the, then the food tastes good. It's the same thing as a chef. You know, if I'm happy when I'm cooking, the food's better. Exactly. Yeah. Who's milking the cow is very important. They don't like certain people milking them. Um, they really, really enjoy consistency. Somebody who's very gentle can understand a cow. That's very, very, very important. Uh, a cow lets down her milk a certain way, and that person has to be very gentle. And we call it big hearted. They have to understand that cow from a heart perspective. You have to be able to really relate to that cow to milk her properly for her health and well-being. You know, our cows here on our farm live a long time. We have, I think right now, I think it's uh, seven retired cows that just are retired here. They just live. They they live happy lives. Yeah. And, um, you know, you go out and you, you talk to them and you scratch them, and you, you know, you talk to them and they know who you are and it's just wonderful. And so they're happy. If I come over to the house for dinner to hang out with you guys, is there going to be a cow at the table? I just want to know ahead of time. That's all. Um, well, uh, <laughs> there may be. There may be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We have had a few picnics, too, in that fashion. Oh, night, for That's sure. fantastic. Yeah. So we've, we've talked a lot about chocolatiers. I kind of want to get the definition of that word because we know what candy makers are. You have chocolate makers, too. But chocolatiers are very different position, a very different title. Yes. Uh, well, a chocolatier is someone who takes chocolate and turns it into a bonbon, a praline, a chocolate like that. And then there's chocolate makers who ch- make chocolate. Uh, we're a little bit of both here. So I love the combination. I love the connection between real food 
which is the cows, and creating it into something that's a fresh chocolate. And uh, that's my goal. What do you think is the ultimate chocolate experience? You know, are you tasting different chocolates? What would be the ultimate chocolate experience for you? For me, it would be a slide made out of chocolate into a kiddie pool full of chocolate. Oh, oh, that's great. I love that. <laughs> uh, uh, for me, it's always the littlest tiny nuance of something um, capturing very simple, simple things and putting them together and tasting every single essence of the purity of maybe two or three ingredients, maybe four ingredients, but being able to associate and recognize the beauty of those individual ingredients in that one bite. Wow. That's how my brain thinks. Somehow you made my idea sound not as fun. It's like listening to music and hearing every note. I really like the individual notes of things as well as enjoying the whole composition, but I, I like to get into tasting those notes. I love that. And that's where that's where the cows come in is that's why their milk is so important is because it's the individual tasting notes of every single cow's milk and then consequently the cream and then consequently the butter, which is more condensed. It's totally different. And um, that's where the fun begins for me. I love it. And it makes me want to learn more about chocolate now. A friend of mine that I have is a fantastic chocolate maker. He does amazing things, but he's kind of going a different level. Like he's making like a lobster infused chocolate. When you see things like that, do you think it's interesting or is it, okay, we're going too far now? Oh, no, no. I think it's very interesting because everyone's palate is going to be a bit different and everyone is going to take it into a different way and explore different things. No different than uh, cooking anything else. So uh, I champion uh, different ideas and different thoughts and I think it's great. Yeah, uh, you know, I love garlic and onions. Is I would love to pursue things like that in as well. Chocolate? Yeah, it's oh, fantastic. Okay. Are you kidding? Oh my god, it's wonderful. But uh, again, you know, it's it's balance. It's a balance. You know, when you're making anything, and and that balance has got to be again so that those notes, those tasting notes, you hit the high points, and then maybe a low point that of a note that uh, is subtle, but it has to be a a secondary character to make the whole thing taste great. So I, I think it's wonderful. Kimberly, what are some of your favorite flavors or different combinations you make at the farm? Uh, let's see. I make a curry dark chocolate. Nice. That, it's a Madras curry. Um, I love that. I have a dark chocolate lavender from Lavender Buds. That's awesome. Uh, a hazelnut jandouille that is just perfect. I do a creme fraiche in uh, raspberry making creme fraiche from our cows. So it's almost like a parfait inside a chocolate. Yeah. It's, wow. it's awesome. I have right around about 168 flavors I make from uh, January through December, depending on the cow, depending on the season. Oh, gosh. So you're down uh, with all the crazy flavors. It's fun to make those. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. I think I see yeah. on here a black pepper and ginger oh, truffles. That actually is a great one because it's a contradiction. Very much so. Yeah, but it actually, it blends beautifully together. Just just perfect. So I actually have to kind of hold myself back from. <laughs> you know, That's um, awesome. Talk about some, uh, you know, for Valentine's Day. This is the time of year. I'm sure it's a crazy busy time of year for you guys as well. But what's a great chocolate pairing for you? I do a, uh, a beautiful uh, Cabernet Sauvignon dark chocolate truffle. And then, of course, we do our Krug champagne uh, truffles Ooh. for Valentine's this time of year. 
Uh, Valentine's Day, I love to do a larger palette of flavors because when you're getting that beautiful Valentine's box, it's great to really be able to choose from a wide variety, from an almond, almond praline all the way to a hazelnut nib crunch to uh, cherry vanilla creams to the black pepper and ginger truffles to uh, an Earl Grey tea truffle. Yeah. So I kind of you know, really try to make a beautiful uh, palette of flavors for everyone to, uh, when I'm putting boxes together myself, I even, when I put the chocolates in the boxes, I kind of picture how someone might go through their box and I put them in pairs so that this one would taste good next to this one and this one and that one. So they may not even know it, but they're, they're getting this palette of flavors as they move around the box. So, so. much thought behind it. That's fantastic. What are some things that could, people can look for when they taste chocolates to tell differences, you know, aside from obviously the cocoa content, but what are some different nuances of the chocolate that people could taste? Creaminess, uh, smoothness, complexity of flavor. Uh, that's very important. Really take the time to let that uh, melt and, and push it up onto the top of your palate and really taste it. Taste every single nuance that chocolate can give you from whether it tastes uh, floral as cherry or plum or tobacco or tea or, you know, try to really taste the nuances of that chocolate. That would be, that's the best thing. That's the beauty of it. Um, but for me also, it's that the level of creaminess, uh, where's that coming from? And is it creamy? Is it gritty? Is it, what is it? And, and, and really recognize those tastes and flavors and textures. Those are all great tips for someone when you're tasting chocolate. Last one, Kimberly, you're going to put together a box. Okay. A box of chocolates and truffles, yep. three or four pieces that are going to make me the superhero on Valentine's Day. What are you going to put in that box? Oh boy! Okay, do I, how many? How many can I choose? How four. big is this box? Four. Oh gosh! Four. Seriously? Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh gosh! Only four chocolates, really? That's it. um, it's a small okay. box. <laughs> Definitely, Credence's. Uh, Credence is the name of the cow. So I would do Credence's Madagascar Vanilla Creams. Definitely, um, I would do Supreme's uh, White Chocolate Raspberry Creams. I would do Mr. Ives Mints. It's mint that's uh, from my garden. Uh, Mr. Ives, uh, Mr. Roger Ives was the gentleman who gave me the mint from about 18, 19 years ago for my garden. I use that in those mints. The same mint. That, yes. Well, you know, obviously I have a huge patch now. Right. But um, uh, and then I would say for a truffle. Oh boy, you're making me choose between these. Um, it's like picking your favorite kid, huh? Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> or maybe favorite the Cabernet. Cow. Yeah, Charisma's Cabernet Sauvignon uh, dark chocolate truffle, or the dark chocolate crumb truffle. So see, I had to choose five. Oh, I couldn't. that sounds awesome. I I, yeah. I love all these. I would be happy with this box. I think my wife would be very happy with it as well. Yeah, Kimberly, <laughs> we appreciate your time. You're a legend. I can't wait to come hang out and taste chocolates and i work i work for chocolates so don't worry okay perfect perfect it doesn't stop here on the farm so that'll be perfect that was kimberly thorne she's the owner and chocolatier at thorncrest farm and milkhouse chocolates in goshen later in the hour we'll talk to a southington chocolate maker about her hot cocoa bombs and coming up after the break plum scoped out a new winery as a potential date night spot i've been there too we think you'll like it i'm marisol castro and i'm chef plum my conversation with the owner of Aquia's Nest Vineyard is next. You're listening to Seasoned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. 
Connecticut's wine trail includes more than two dozen wineries and vineyards, and the newest happens to be in Plum's hometown. Neviana Zagaba and her husband, Arden Lomi, own Aquia's Nest Vineyard. They settled in Newtown five years ago on more than 40 acres, where they grow a variety of grapes. I spoke with Neviana on a busy afternoon at the winery where music and art and nature are central to the experience. And the wine, I gotta tell you, I was pleasantly surprised. It's clean, bright, refreshing, fruit forward, not a lot of jammy fruits in the background, and perfect for a day sitting outside beside your own personal fire overlooking the hills of Sandy Hook. Neviana described how her and her husband started the vineyard and how it got its name, and how their Albanian heritage is expressed throughout the winery. So why Newtown? My husband grew up in a farm in Albania. I always went to like the, the countryside of okay. Albania when it was summer break to my relatives over there. So I love the lifestyle. We used to uh, hike a lot. Like we have been to all Connecticut state parks and you know more New York and Massachusetts, all the areas around as well. Yeah. Um, and we love being out in nature and that's what we wanted to raise our kids. And the in, Northeast in that, is beautiful. Yeah. The name, talk about the name and what that means. Yeah. Well, the name is Aquila. It means uh, eagle in English. Okay. Aquila derives from Latin, you know, Italian, and it, it means eagle as well. My last name uh, is Gaba, but in Albanian, translated in English, that means eagle as well. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have named our wines based on a woman from ancient mythology or ancient history, and each of our wines also has a constellation imprinted in them. Oh, nice. But the constellation is, the design is kind of flows like the wine spill, basically. Mm -hmm. And then based on ancient means, ancient means were always related to constellations. From That's our, deep. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nicely done. From our, you know, Albanian heritage in the Balkans, we were right in the middle of uh, Roman, Greek, uh, Slavic, Turkish yeah. culture. So that flew like really well. Now, related to the myth, Aquila is actually the eagle that uh, carried Zeus's thunderbolts into Olympus, and then also this is he crazy. I had no idea. This is the whole story. This is awesome. Yeah. I love it. I love and then it. also, it's the eagle that carried the cupbearer of the gods into Olympus. And so, when you come up to the winery, the first thing that you'll see before the entrance is a statue of a cupbearer with his uh, uh, hair I did see the statue, um, as yeah. grapevines. Uh -huh. Very cool. That's very, very cool. Now, as I was pulling in, I started noticing kind of the trellis system you guys have set mm -hmm. up out there. You're actually growing grapes on property. Yes. Yeah, so right now we have over seven and a half acres planted. And That's then awesome. in April, we're going to plant probably another two acres. That is awesome. Because yeah. I think, I mean, growing grapes in the Northeast is a little bit difficult. Like you're not, you can't grow yeah. your standard. Everyone's thinking the Cabernet Sauvignon. They're thinking yeah, no, you, no. you can't grow those grapes. Here. They don't, they won't grow here. Mm -hmm. What kind of grapes can grow? So we have planted, it's a velvet Moscato starting to lightly, you know, we make lightly sweet Moscato yeah. with that. Uh, then we have planted Rieslings. We loved oh, Rieslings when we went up to the Finger Lakes region. Yeah. Uh, and then same type of like inspiration uh, we got uh, when we planted the Cayuga Whites. Yeah, so you got to so do one of those late harvest Rieslings for me when they yeah. freeze and they get that super, yeah. super like desserty taste. I love yeah. that. That's well, um, the thing about our wines in general is that they're not very sweet. Yeah. We tend to offer dry wines. The only sweet wine that we have is a Moscato, but it's lightly sweet. Is it? It doesn't okay. overpower, you know. That's great. I mean, because a lot of times you think of a Moscato to be very, uh, you know, more of a dessert wine. Yeah. You know, very sweet, yeah. overly sweet yeah. sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's what we've kind of noticed going through all the wineries in Connecticut as well, because that's what that was part of our inspiration into yeah. 
converting this 200-year-old farm that we found into a winery and a vineyard. The wines that they had were tended to be more towards the sweeter side. And so being part of like Fairfield County, I, I've worked in Fairfield County for many years. Uh-huh. Um, I kind of related to like the, the taste profiles of the people I worked with sure. and, you know, my friends and so on. So. Well, it's funny because you, you're very knowledgeable about wines, even just talking to you right now. I can already see it. I can see your face, how you light up when you talk about it, oh. which is phenomenal. <laughs> but you don't come from the winemaking background. Like, that's not your background. Both of my husband and I, we uh, have bachelor's and master's in uh, engineering. Okay. He's a mechanical engineer. Yeah, yeah. I did software engineering. Great for winemaking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can tell you many ways, you know, how those um, capabilities that we have uh, in our jobs uh, tend to like spit in, in the in the winemaking area. So, for example, my husband always finds new ways to solve problems. And this whole winery idea, from the start, it was how do we solve problems every step of the way? Because sure. We didn't know, you know, how to build a winery or a vineyard. Of course. And then all the problems that come with that, that you don't, that you can't plan on. It's much like running a restaurant probably where it's, you can plan for as much as you want. There's going to be something you don't plan for. But uh, from my side of the job, I do program management. So I'm into planning. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. And drinking wine. Oh yeah, a little bit. So. <laughs> um, you guys do a Cab Franc that I'm excited to taste at some point because I'm a Cab Franc fan. Oh yeah. Uh, how yeah. does it come out? How do you do you grow it here on on property? Yeah. When we originally started to build the vineyard, we didn't know exactly what would go well and what would grow well in the farm. So we planted uh, several varieties of grapes, and right. then we identified the ones that grew better. From the reds, we have a Cab Franc, we have Bac Noir. The Bacon Noir, actually, we have a lot of more Bacon Noir that uh, we harvested this year, and it will probably be ready maybe by the end of next year if we let it, yeah. you know, a little longer than usual. Are you fermenting on premise here? Yeah. So on the other side of the building here, this whole area that you see for the wine tasting area, we have another 2,000 square foot of winemaking. Inside this room, it's so eclectic. It's so artsy. I love the art everywhere. What's the inspiration for all that? So. This is a labor of love and, you know, we had other jobs. It's not like we wanted to spend every free time that we had in the past five years in a project that didn't really mean a lot to us, you know. So we put a lot of effort in the building up the vineyard and planting it. And then when it came out time to build the winery, I wanted something that I could stay here every weekend and feel like I was you know, away from my other job and like a vacation really. Different than the day-to-day, Exactly, different, very different. And uh, because we've visited many of the other wineries all over, you know, in the United States, uh, France, and of course in the area that we grew up as well, I wanted something that could blend all our interests um, into one place. So that when people came, every time that came over and sat in the winery, and um, every section that they sat in, it would be different from the last time. Yeah. And so that experience, that visual experience of the wine tasting would be different as well. So you can see here we have featured you know, Albanian traditional art. We have featured um, women empowerment photography that I've taken from the vineyards, yeah. many different topics, even the United Nations Global Goals. So Very everything cool. that like looks good, but also has another meaning behind it. And people can just spark curiosity and inspiration. It's, it really is gorgeous. The, the building is a large like steel. It's just gorgeous. I mean, I love the, the colors, sound dampeners on the roof, the chandeliers that are hanging down, yeah. the massive fan. I mean, this place is going to be popping in the summer. 
Yeah, actually, like the second weekend we opened, we had so many people over that we had to turn away so many of them. Oh, yeah. And, you know, starting a new business, especially during COVID times, it's scary. I mean, you, you don't... Incredibly scary. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all we've done is talk to so many restaurateurs and, and people who have small businesses trying to deal with... Yeah. I mean, how do you keep your business going during this time? Yeah. You know, personally, like all of my catering, my, my side catering work uh -huh. I did, it's all gone. So, But yeah. you got to keep pushing forward. You're doing a great job. It's beautiful here. I mean, listen, this is a Sunday. It's... You know, it's 12.30 and you guys are getting busy. Yeah, we've been trying very hard to make sure that we maintain the right capacity, ensure social distancing, um, yeah. so that people have a safe experience. Right, and they should feel safe. It's, the tables are nicely spaced in here. There's plenty of room. Yeah. Um, so in what ways does your culture kind of influence your winemaking? One of the reasons why we wanted to build a winery is to have a place to build community. And in Albania, People gather around, you know, the, the time when we have the harvest, uh, they gather with families, friends, gather the grapes, and it's always like a mini festival for, you know, the, their group of friends and family. Right. Uh, so that's what we wanted to, to bring to this community. Eventually, you know, we will build our home here, we will raise our kids here, and that's why it's important for us to build the community with um, our neighbors and Newtown and the surrounding towns as well. Okay. So now that we have the vineyard's backstory, I needed to know what might make it a great spot for a date night. Piano players, pay attention. If you know how to play the piano, you yeah. can come and play. Uh, <laughs> nice. We have a baby grand here in the middle of the It's right in the middle of the, of the dining room. Well, what would you call it? Dining room. The tasting room. The right tasting in the middle room. of the tasting room. Well, that's good when you said dining room because in a way I wanted to design the space to feel like home. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you definitely achieved that. It does feel that way, which is great. <laughs> but there is. There's a giant piano sitting right here next to us. Yeah. So we have um, piano soirees every Friday. Then for Valentine's weekend, we will have live music, uh, jazz, guitar, duo. And then on Sunday, we're going to jazz it, uh, sax it up with uh, some other jazz. Oh, nice. Yeah. So nice. We have a really good um, saxophone player. He has been in the vineyard many times playing, especially at the beginning when the weather was really nice as well. So Very cool. What a great place to bring a date for Valentine's Day. Yeah, you and that, I mean, not only the music and the, you know, the interior design, but also the different special uh, cocktails that we will make that are just for Valentine's weekend and throughout the month of love, basically. Oh, <laughs> the month of love. That's yeah. February. What are some of the cocktails? That sounds great. Right, Can so, you share it with me or no? Of course. Uh, so in, in January, actually, um, and into the, the winter months, but the focus was mostly in January, was um, to create a, a mulled wine, but different. Okay something special and so we did a chocolate mulled wine my interest is, is peaked now oh okay yeah. chocolate mulled wine yeah. and what better way to have chocolate and wine and bring people together around the fire pit we have s'mores as well s'mores kits oh, that's that we awesome can do around the fire pit so it's like mostly bringing that uh, you know family vibe and also romantic vibe so yeah there are many families here who come over and uh, have wine and also, you know, other snacks that we have here with their kids. And then they come over for date nights. They and you don't mind the kids coming, do you? No, no. Like, we, we are family-friendly, yeah. uh, pet-friendly as well. Oh, so you can bring your pets? Yeah. I can see a dog outside a second yeah. ago. That's yeah, true. outside. So on Instagram, we have our... Um, Pops of the Vineyard okay. featured in our stories. You do some fun stuff with food trucks out here. Great mm -hmm. support for the food trucks. What are some of the trucks you have out here? 
Today we have the Chamo food truck. They make Venezuelan food. We're going to have, um, I think, a crepes truck. Oh, yeah. So I love France. I mean, who doesn't love France and the vibe, the wine? Right, right. Uh, everything that you think about when you think of Paris and France. So in the vineyard, we have, you know, that cheese box is here, that charcuterie. Um, we have Beautiful. Uh, the savory and sweet crepes that you'd think of. And then the very good wine. What are some of the challenges you guys have run across? Because like we said before, growing yeah. grapes is very difficult to grow yeah, here. That's true. We did a lot of research on what grapes could possibly grow better here in this region. And then, as I told you, we planted different varieties in the first year so that we could learn how they you know, went about the first year and then plant more in the future years. Right. The other thing is we have a 41-acre property. And at the beginning, when we purchased the land, we had to clean it up a lot. We had to cut trees, uh, but then everything that we, we cut, we reused it. Oh, um, that's great. Yeah, my husband and I did most of the work for the first four years. Wow. It was just him and I, yeah. 41 acres, just the two of you, that's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, we were here every afternoon, every weekend. I can give him credit, he did way more than me at the beginning. <laughs> that's nice of you, at least you're not in here saying, I did everything. You know, no. he was just drinking wine. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, so it was, it, the whole place is 41 acres. Yeah. How much of that is going to be actual grapes growing? Probably around 10 acres. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you have a lot of repeat customers coming in the town really kind of supporting? Yeah. We have customers even coming from New York, Massachusetts. All over, huh? Yeah. I can't wait to taste some wine. You did, you forced upon me a glass when I came in. Uh -huh. well, so right I don't want to say that forced is a stretch, by the way. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I said, yeah, sure. So <laughs> right now you're tasting the dry rosé. And mm -hmm. usually um, I've noticed, most generally with men, they come over and they say, well, what can I have? What do you suggest? And I'm like, how about you try the dry rosé? And they look at me and like the rosé. <laughs> Why? Oh, my gosh, that's crazy. Okay, well, that's... I'm like, give it a try. And yeah. then they always love it because it's a very dry wine. It's made with Sanjove. The grapes. It's one of the best grapes to like make rosés. Through the pandemic, we have we've improved service a lot to mm -hmm. people. You know, whether it's takeout yeah. service, whether it's pickup service, but we're losing the hospitality aspect. Yeah, of it, right. Yeah, I feel like you're kind of getting that back when you walk in here, which yeah. just makes it perfect for a date night. Great hospitality, great wine, beautiful fire pit. Yeah. What's better than that? Yeah, and a s'mores kit. There might be a dog around. Who doesn't <laughs> love dogs? That was Neviana Zagaba, along with her husband. She owns Aquila's Nest Vineyard in Newtown. I'm Chef Plum. And I'm Marisol Castro. We're going to take a short break here. When we come back, hot chocolate bombs. Stay with us. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We have one more chocolate treat to share with you today. We're joined by Rosie Mariano, the chocolatier behind Rosie's Royal Chocolates in Southington, where she makes a lot of hot chocolate bombs these days. Well, Rosie, I understand you have been in the chocolate making business since the 20th century. Yeah, I started in 1999. <laughs> it's always kind of been in my life, though, because my great grandma had a candy store for 54 years. So we've always kind of had chocolate as a daily life. <laughs> that is fantastic. Do you know how badly I wish someone in my family like ran a, a candy shop for 50 years? That would be amazing. And that's not a bad gig to have coming from a family of, of chocolate makers or candy makers. What was that like? Did you gorge yourself on candy and chocolate? I definitely didn't limit myself. <laughs> and I think I was just introduced to um, a love of food and chocolate and sweets at a young age. So it just stuck with me as I grew older and nobody 
continued my great grandmother's business or legacy. Um, I kind of skipped a generation. So it always just happened around the house on holidays or especially Easter. I used to be able to get inside my Easter baskets. They were so large. And I usually had Easter chocolate till summer. <laughs> you as a child could actually climb into your own Easter basket? Correct. Yes. It usually would be in like something the size of a laundry basket that you would carry around. But there was never a shortage of um, <laughs> gifts or chocolates. Unfortunately, her shop was actually closed by the time I was old enough to understand what it was. I was in there. As, I think she closed when I was three. But her recipes and like my mom making her chocolates and we were very fortunate. She lived to be 96. So oh my we had her as a part of our life for a very long time. Now, how many like different candies do you actually make in your shop right now? I've never actually counted, but I do make quite a variety of products. I'd say maybe around 100, but I have a large variety of unique things like um, chocolate-covered Cool Ranch Doritos, chocolate-covered Sour wow. Patch Kids, um, the Fire Chili Doritos I dip in chocolate. Um, I dip Slim Jims and beef jerky in chocolate. That? Now listen, lady. Wow. I, I love me some sweet savory. And no one loves chocolate more than me. Whose bright idea was it to Whoa. take a Dorito and dip it in chocolate? It was me. <laughs> I must say. The Doritos are, uh, that doesn't shock me as much as the Slim Jim. Oh, Slim Jims are so good in chocolate. Because you know as a chef that like opposites attract. And the strangest combination of flavors make the best foods. Like first guy that put honey and barbecue sauce, they probably thought he was mad. But it's the most amazing combination because they're opposites. And Great you just example. have to be creative. And I like to give people a reason to support me. Like I make all the normal things. I make caramels and chocolate pretzels and chocolate Oreos. But I always want to play around and try new things. And I love chocolate. So I always want to give it a new life. And some of the craziest stuff is so good. Is there anything you won't cover in chocolate? No, I make like... Um, rosy jalapenos like jalapeno poppers so i stuff them with nutella or peanut butter and dip them in chocolate they're amazing or like rosy hawaiians i take a piece of pepperoni and a piece of fresh pineapple and dip it in chocolate amazing wow so i won't make it like i'll make it and try it but i won't sell it unless it tastes good because i'm not down for gimmicks so like even though it might sound crazy to you if you like those ingredients like you like slim gems you're not a vegetarian you'll probably love chocolate covered slim gems but I've tried many things that don't taste as good as I want them to or not as much of a wow presence as I want. I've dipped almost every vegetable in chocolate. I've dipped carrots. I've dipped broccoli in chocolate. Arugula. <laughs> I've never tried lettuce. Actually. Bok choy. <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> Rosie, there's nothing you won't try when it comes to chocolate, but you also talked about gimmicks. And you won't do something just because it's gimmicky, which I can appreciate. So when you saw Hot Cocoa Bombs taking over social media, what was your thought? Hot Cocoa Bombs stem from my awareness or understanding of them from Europe. So I've seen them. My, one of my best friends, British, um, she's from Liverpool. And she's actually brought me them a few years back from England. I thought they were amazing. I was like, what a brilliant idea. You know, I never claim or try to be the first to do anything. Even like I started making chocolate bacon at the Biggie in 2009, but I seen somebody else do it. And I thought, what a brilliant idea. Let me try it because there's no need to reinvent the wheel. 
I feel like as a service provider, like I provide a chocolate service to my community. If that's what the community wants and I can create it at a fair price with great product and ingredients, then I always want to help them out. Are chocolate bombs hard and very task and time consuming to make? Yes, I can say I've been making chocolate for over 20 years. And there's just some things as a chocolatier, as a chef that are more painstaking and chocolate bombs is one of them. But if that's what my customers want and that's what makes them happy, I'll stay up through the night to make them hot cocoa bombs because that's what I love to do is to honestly make them happy. And they smile and dance like little kids for hot cocoa bombs. So how could I not make them for them? <laughs> I just want to chime in really quick. I'm pretty sure you may be the first person ever to dip Slim Jims in chocolate. Just throwing that out there. I don't know. I, I strive to be the best. I want everyone to come in and enjoy things and test new things and have fun when they're with me, you know? Sure. Try something fun. People have so much fun in my store. Even if they're not willing or they're vegetarians, they still have a good time talking about chocolate symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> so did your customers say, hey, Rosie, we saw this hot cocoa bomb. Can you make it? Or did you already have it as part of your repertoire? Usually they ask before I even start. Um, and they were requesting them as early as early fall, like Halloween-ish, you know. And usually it's very often that someone will say, you know, I got this somewhere else, but it was so expensive or, you know, I, I really want it in your chocolate or can you do this? Or, and I always try to, of course, provide the request, but I had no clue that there was going to be such a phenomenon, how amazingly popular they would be. <laughs> so you said your, your friend from the UK had given it to you years before and your customers are like, Rosie, there's yeah. this hot cocoa yeah. bomb. What did you do to learn how to do it? Yeah, they're well, they're quite labor intensive, like to seal the bomb, you need to pipe chocolate on a, an edge, which is about the size of your fingernail. Um, so after making hundreds of them a day, you know, it's a little taxing, but that's like, you know, part of your trade, you know, as a chef, as a chocolatier, your hands are at the mercy of your work, you know, it just happens. But they're also fun. It's it's fun to see people lined up at your door begging for what you make and so happy, you know, to purchase your products. To me, that's the answer to all my prayers. That's what makes my great grandma dance in heaven. Aww. So talk about the process, though, of how it goes through making these. So we start out by making uh, two spheres. They're a, a nice thick double layer of chocolate because I do not believe in using cocoa mix because I believe that the whole purpose of a hot cocoa bomb is to have gourmet hot chocolate. And for my knowledge, how you make gourmet hot chocolate, how gourmet hot chocolate is made in Europe is fresh chocolate and fresh cream. Yeah. There is no powdered cocoa mix in any Belgium chocolate that I understand is being prepared. So that is how I wanted to do it. I didn't want to put cocoa mix in it because to me, that would be taking away the greatness of my chocolate. To me, hot cocoa mix does not do my wonderful great grandmother's recipe of chocolate any justice. They're double layer thick. They're all filled with mini marshmallows. Then I do like Nutella where there's a big glob of Nutella inside, then filled with mini marshmallows. The sphere is then closed and topped with more chocolate on top. Um, my s'mores are filled with a liquid marshmallow, mini marshmallows and crushed graham crackers on top. Uh, my Lucky Charms have Lucky Charms inside, mini marshmallows, Lucky Charms on top. I do Heath toffee. My peanut butter has peanut butter inside and peanut butter outside. I do caramel, caramel inside, marshmallows, and then a caramel topping outside. Mint chocolate, peppermint. I do some plain ones for people who aren't adventurous. <laughs> 
just with sprinkles. I mean, you kind of are doing all kinds of different creations with these. I love these. How quickly do these sell out? At Christmas, I as quickly as I could make them, they would sell and almost I'd be going as quickly as I can because people would almost be arguing over them. They would be <laughs> lined up at my door at Christmas. And if I had 100 ready, 100 went. So wow. it was a great blessing. <laughs> First of all, when you put these things in milk and they actually start to fall apart, it's almost like a show happening itself. When you watch it start to melt down and they open up and that cocoa comes out and the marshmallows start to float. I mean, you almost want to start cheering when you see them start to melt. At least I do. I think it's so cool to make. What are some of the weird requests you might have gotten from from clientele saying, hey, Rosie, could you put chopped bacon and jalapenos in one for me? Like, What are some crazy requests? I've had a few requests for bacon. Sure. That's, I would definitely say the oddest. Um, I think because I made so many different flavors, you know, from marshmallow to peanut butter, to caramel to Nutella, I kind of got almost all of their needs covered, but people always request meat and bacon and chocolate together yeah. in all forms. Some people cringe. I'm like, I wish I had a camera so you could understand how many people ask me for this. <laughs> Are there any plans for something special for Valentine's Day, like a special Valentine's Day chocolate bomb? We already have Valentine's Day decorated bombs where they're covered with little hearts and cute candies. And I am in the process of sourcing some heart-shaped marshmallows. So hopefully we can have a heart-shaped exploding bomb come up. Well, listen, as far as a lot of these trends that have been going on through the pandemic with everybody making sourdough bread and all the different types of baking you see going on. I hope this one sticks around because this is a fun one to do and hot chocolate is delicious any time of year to me. I so agree. Amen. <laughs> that was Rosie Moriano, the owner and chocolatier at Rosie's Royal Chocolates in Southington. If you line up outside her shop to get one of her hot cocoa bombs, no fighting. There's plenty to go around and Rosie is always happy to make more. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Seasoned is produced by Robin Doyen-Aiken and Katie Tolarski. Thanks for listening, and happy Valentine's Day. See you next week. 